0: All right. well welcome everybody to Rise Church. So glad that you're here with us today. My name is Aaron. I'm the uh, senior pastor here and uh, just so happy to see you on behalf of our staff and my wife and all of our volunteers. We're just so glad that you're here, especially if you're a guest with us uh, for the very first time. If you are a guest, I highly encourage you to come back at least three times. I kind of give what I call the three-week challenge. Everybody say three-week all right, so yeah, three week challenge because really I've noticed this that once you walk into a church, sometimes it can be hard to get the full feel of it on one weekend. And so I've been in ministry almost two weeks, two decades, so I would just say, like, Try to come back at least three times and get a feel. Especially because we're in a unique series this week, uh, and uh, it's kind of just talking a little bit about your questions and how we walk through them. So uh, we are in the middle of a series. Speaking of that series, called "You Ask for It," and really what this uh, the whole series is designed to do is to answer questions that you actually submitted. So in Easter, we took a poll, and we uh, also left up the area to answer questions on our website, on our Facebook. You can actually text them in. And in fact, on the invite, as you sat down, there's a little bring We call it a bring That's not a word. We just put two things together, but we call them Bring bites, and you can write in a question, and then hopefully I'll, I'll be able to answer it, and so that's what we're doing today, and we're just so glad that you are here with us, and I uh, wanted to give some ground rules before we continue with our sermon. I kind of give this every weekend just so that we have the right posture on how we do these types of questions, uh, but the first is this, is that where the Bible is clear, I will be clear. I am a Bible teacher, okay? I'm not a self-help guru. Uh, my design, hopefully, is not exactly to make you feel good, but I want you to have a, maybe perspective uh, from... God, that's driven based on the Bible, and that's a good thing. You want some uh, Bible believing, Bible based church, and uh, that's so where the Bible is clear. I'm gonna be clear where the Bible is not clear, I'm going to just kind of give you my opinion. Um, and honestly, I will tell you, it's my opinion. I, you don't need to necessarily agree with it. Um, we can still walk together. In fact, uh, you know, even on our staff, we disagree on some things inside scripture that are what we call non-essentials. And inside the non-essentials, we're going to have liberty. We're going to have freedom. We're going to have debate. I'll say this. There is a reason why for thousands of years, theologians and scholars have dis- debated over certain issues. We want to know why? Because it's worth the debate. And so some people take stands on either side. That's fine. I don't care that that's a bit, but we want to have a posture of humility so that we can actually be a a learning type of person. You want to be a learning person, be a learning church. That's my goal. And then the last thing I will say is this, is we've gotten a lot of questions in from a lot of people. I mean, like I'm telling you a lot of questions. I'm not going to be able to answer every question. And then here's my other thought about that. Some questions are not appropriate to be answered in a private, in a public setting. Some questions that are private in nature are better answered privately. It's not because we don't take a stand as a church or we don't believe in truth or anything like that. Sometimes answering a private question publicly can do more harm than it can good. And so I want to be careful by answering certain questions in a blanket way without knowing the intricacies of what that question comes from. You need to trust me in that as your pastor, because I've been doing this for a long, long time. This is not the first time I've ever done a series like this. And we want to be honoring to those who ask the questions and be able to answer them in a way that they can be answered. So if I don't answer your question, man, feel free to come up to one of our staff, email us at the church at hello at risechurchtx.com. We'd love to be able to maybe sit down with you, have coffee, or get you connected to a small group and you guys can have healthy debate about it. Um, This is The goal of this series is not to deepen our divisions. The goal of the series is to deepen our understanding, okay? Everybody shake your head, say okay. All right, good, good, good. Okay, because I want us to have fun with the... The point of the series is for us to have fun. I want us to have a good time and enjoy God and really be able to walk through some of uh, the good things that we really kind of... We can answer some of the questions. And so uh, before we do that, let's pray. Father, we just love you, God. Lord, I thank you that that, uh, we can open up your scripture, we can open up your word. God, you have answers to some of our toughest questions, and I just pray, Lord, that today, God, you would speak to us in only ways that you can, that God, you would show us what it's like to be a a follower, a devoted Christian, someone who loves you and doesn't live our life based on what we think, but what you think. We pray that you would just uh, honor this time that you've given to us in Jesus' name. And everybody said Amen. Y'all ready to go? All right. First question. Here we go. Is heaven really in the sky and has hell really in the ground? Are they real? Um, You know, it's interesting. uh, I've had this question come up multiple times, you know, because... Um, you know, even though thousands of years of orthodoxy in terms of Christian belief systems have believed that they were uh, literal places, there's different teachings that are rising up from time to time. And, you know, because of social media and the internet, uh, you know, opinions and ideas are very easy to get out there. And so this could become something, especially now in colleges, you know, I went to college in the Bay Area in San Jose. So I, I know what it's like being, going to a college and going to places of higher learning where you're trying to, or what we thought was higher learning and it's kind of weird now, but like you kind of get into these places and they challenge, Things that you know maybe you've always believed, and so uh, I want to kind of address this question just kind of from a uh, maybe a fun standpoint, if that's okay. I, I read a, a story the other day where a preacher walk, uh, he was preaching at, at the you know at his message, and in the middle of his message, he says, "How many of you right now want?" to go to heaven right now, raise your hand. And so everybody in the church, you know, he's in the middle of him giving his message and he's, it's good, right? He's sweating and so that's when you know it's good. He's got his towel and he's doing his thing. And so they all raise their hand except for this one guy in the back center of the room. And he's like, man, I'm gonna get that guy. So he waits till the end of the message and he goes, come on, I wanna know how many of you in here are ready to go to heaven right now? And he's like, you know, giving his best, you know, sermonic solo. And he says, if you wanna do that, stand up. Everybody stands up except for, guess what, that guy in the back, and he's, like, frustrated. He's like, man, I can't believe, you know, he didn't stand up. He didn't raise his hand. I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm mad. And so he, at the end of service, he finds that guy, and he walks up to him, and he goes, man, he goes, sir, come on, like, I was preaching good today. He said, man, why don't, why don't you want to go to heaven? And he goes, he kind of looks at him confused. The, guy, the man looks back, and he goes, well, I, I do. And he goes, well, why don't you raise your hand? He goes, why didn't you stand up? I was, I was given the the moment. You missed the moment. He goes, he goes, oh, he goes. Well, no, I thought you were talking about like, do you want to go to heaven right now? And everybody was signing up to go. I'm like, I want to live for a little bit longer. I'll go to heaven later. And uh, you know, heaven can be a funny thing. You know, hell can be a, a, a different thing. Heaven and hell can be very polarizing because you know. Heaven in its, uh, probably in its easiest ways, I'll say, what does the Bible have to say about it? I think the Bible speaks of heaven and hell in two primary primary ways, two primary categories. Number one, it speaks to them as literal places. So I will say this, like Jesus comes down and, and really all throughout scripture, you see of the Bible teaching about a literal place called heaven, like a place where you and I will be with God. And the best way to describe heaven is a place that has God, not his stuff. And so if you are trying to get to heaven just to get to his stuff, you will be frustrated and disappointed because where heaven is, that's where God is. And so oftentimes we can kind of be like, man, I want to get to heaven so I can enjoy like the streets of gold. How many of y'all heard that before, right? Like the descriptions of heaven. I want to enjoy the streets of gold and I want to get up there and eat all the time and have no calories and not gain any weight. And I want to like enjoy my life and my pet's going to be there. Is my pet going to be in the heaven? I think he's going to be there because, you know, there's animals and stuff. But like, you're like, I want to go and enjoy all of God's stuff. You're going to be disappointed because all of heaven as it's described is all about God. It's about being with God. It's about being around God. It's about being, um, you know, you know, about doing the, with the things of God. It's about worshiping God. It's about God. That's what heaven literally is translated. And so, although it might be different, you know, there's different debates on like a second and third heaven. Paul talks about that in Corinthians. You can go research that on your own if you want. There's um, parts of Revelation that speak about There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And you need to know this, that we're going to live our lives out, not as like angels, like look like babies that like play harps and float around. Like when we we had too many Oreos, that's not what it's going to look like. Like we're going to be on this earth, but it's going to be completely restored, remade, like extreme home makeover, world edition. And we're going to live in this new Jerusalem and we're going to be with God. It's going to be awesome. And so we're going to be here. and It's going to be incredible. And there's going to be any pain. There's going to be no death. There's going to be no disease. There's not going to be any famine. There's not going to be any debt. There's not going to be any calories. Come on, somebody say amen. And it's going to be good. And it's going to be awesome. And you can't describe it. And the Bible does its best to describe it. But you can't. You can't. You can't. Because it's that incredible. And you know what our response to that literal place should be? As a church, this is what our response should be. Excitement. And hustle. There should be an excitement about it where you're like, there's a place that's so amazing that you need to have a hustle in your life and in your spirit and in your world where you just want to get as many people with you there as possible. Excitement and hustle is our response to the literal place called heaven. Now, hell is the opposite of that. Scripture teaches about a literal place called hell. Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. He was concerned with the idea that people could marginalize or minimize the idea of a place of eternal punishment. In fact, um, Matthew chapter 25, he speaks of a place called eternal punishment. Luke and Matthew speak of a place of outer darkness or weeping and gnashing of teeth. In fact, C.S. Lewis talks about this place. Um, he's a, he was a famous author. And he speaks about this, that if, he would, if there was any doctrine that he would like to remove from the Bible, it would be the doctrine of hell. He knew he couldn't because it's biblical, but he knew that it was a terrible, terrible, terrible place. In fact, everything that made heaven great, hell didn't have. And so if heaven is described as a place where present with God, hell is described as a place where it's absent with God. Hell is, hell is literally described as a place where God is no longer there. There is no love. There is no joy. There is no p- patience. There is no peace. There is no kindness. There is no, come on. Everything that God embodies, there is none of that because it is literally the worst, most terrible place you could think of. And our response to it should be heartbreak and hustle. Because as excited as you are about heaven and getting people there, you need to be as heartbroken about people going to a terrible place like that and have the same amount of hustle saying, no, 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 no. Not my neighbors, not my friends, not my family. Come on, not my cousins, not my boss, right, ish, right? Not my boss, ish, Uh, not not, not anybody because no one, I I want to do the best I can to plunder hell and populate heaven on behalf of Jesus. Come on because it's, it's a literal place. The second thing I'll say this about the Bible teaches, the Bible teaches that it's, it's also a, um, and if you study it out, it's also a state of living. Jesus uses the, the phrase kingdom of heaven a lot of times, and many scholars believe that he wasn't just referencing the literal place called heaven one day, he was also referencing a state of mind and state of living that you and I live in. Because how many of y'all know you can be saved and actually be, and know Jesus, have him in your heart, and still be living in hell? Yeah. Come on. How many of y'all know that this place that we live in this called this earth is crazy and you're gonna have issues and you're gonna have problems and Jesus speaks of the kingdom of heaven in a way to give you the best way and the best opportunity and the best ways that God has for your life so he has a way that you can be married and he has a way that you can deal with your finances and he has a way that you can date and he has a way that you can like deal with your life and way that you eat. Why? So that you can have heaven right now. He said the kingdom of heaven is like and so it could be a heavenly state of mind It could also, or a state of living. It could also be a hell state of living. And I will say this as a, as a side thought. You know, Jesus speaks about a place called Sheol, and that's in the New Testament. And it's the place of the outer darkness, the weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is a fringe teaching now that teaches that hell is not real. And the way they teach it is they say that when Jesus was mentioning outer darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth, he was actually referencing a place outside the city or places that were geographically located inside of the world at that time that had that description, that were known as that. And I will say this to that, that teaching is both unhelpful and fully, actually incomplete. Because it could have been of referencing that, but Jesus was also referencing the long-term eternal punishment for people who have rejected God. Now, why would I even teach you that as a Christian, as a pastor? I'm shoot. Our church is seven months old. Pastor, why would you teach on heaven and hell? Don't do that. People won't come back. <laughs> the reason you know that you need to know the doctrine of hell is because you need to know the incredibleness of God. And what he did for you and I. And, and the truth of the matter is, is that they're both real places. So my summary is this, is that heaven is incredible. Hell is hot and terrible, and eternity is a long time. And if I were you, I would be clear and sure about my doctrine so that I don't live in fear of what could be, but I live in excitement of what should be. Because you and I have been bought freedom, not just in a heaven and hell one place someday, but in a heaven and hell in our lives right now. God wants the best for you right now. So that's good, I am in myself because I know you don't like that. Amen. all right, number two. Uh, why doesn't Rise Church take communion weekly? Yeah, this is an interesting question. How many have you ever thought that? like anybody, I'm just curious. anybody ever thought like, why do we take communion the way we take it, how many times we take it? Any of that kind of anybody? Brave enough? No, no, brave, okay, awesome. We got one. Great, awesome. I, I actually get this question a lot in private um, because you know, depending on what parts of the country you live in, uh, like when I lived in California, nobody asked us about communion because I, people were just they're like, be lucky I showed up to church. What are you talking about? Communion. What's communion? And so um, they, uh, they didn't really care about that. But you know, when I lived in Missouri, it was a high Catholic area, you know, and communion out there was a big deal. And so people wanted to know why we do communion. When I moved down here, people want to know, pastor, how do we do communion? How many times do we do communion? What do we do communion? Where do, we do communion? I don't even know about communion. Where's the communion at? And so like we, we and yet if you go to any different types of churches, have you ever noticed there's a whole different ways to do communion? Have y'all like y'all been y'all been to the other churches, right? You've seen it, and but you have people who where they take it like we take it. We have our own communion elements. You can pass the. The plate that has the communion elements in it. There's places where you walk up, and the priest puts it in your your mouth, and that's you know that's different. And so you have different places where you dip it, and, then, and so it's like there's a lot of ways. So you, I mean that does lead to this question: why and how and all that kind of stuff. And so um, I want to answer this question by just kind of giving you some ideas about really what communion is biblically and historically. Okay, so number one, just a quick answer: the Bible doesn't mention frequency inside the Bible for communion. It mentions as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. I want to read you some scripture. Just give you some ideas, some backdrop of it. Verse 23 in Corinthians says this, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. So this is a story telling about what happened with Jesus when he was sitting with his disciples is what we now know as the Last Supper, okay? This is kind of where we get it from and he said and when he had given thanks he broke it and said take eat this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me so this is where i get our scripture about how when we do communion okay and he goes on to say and then in the same manner he also took the cup after the supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this uh, this do as often as you drink it do it in remembrance of me and then he ends on verse 26 he says this for as often ever say as often. as often come on like you got red bull in you and you're happy to be here say as often, as often. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. You need to know this. The Bible doesn't speak of a frequency, but it speaks to do it frequently. And so for us as a church, you need to know, like, we've, we've, there's a tension in that. The history of the Last Supper, just so you know, in terms of church orthodoxy or how churches have gone over, uh, over the years of church history, is that it started really when early church leaders and church fathers started to do this and started to take communion. It used to be uh, lined around the Passover meal, and that really happened in one time of year. And communion was not taken as, a, like, a, an element like we do now, like where we do a wafer and we do a juice. Um, they would do a meal. Because it was part of the Passover meal. That's what Jesus was put doing or during the Passover meal. He did it as the Passover meal. So early churches would do meals. And so the only issue with that was as churches in history started going along, two problems arose. Number one, sin started entering into the communion meal. Here's why. Have you ever noticed that when you drink a whole lot, bad things happen? <laughs> I've never done that. You know, come on. But like, like, like when you enter into having a lot of wine at a lot of places, it turned into my like my family reunions. It's like, why is the Bud Light out at 9 a.m.? Y'all don't need to be drinking right now. And so over the day, it would be an all-day communion supper, last supper, last communion meal. It would be a meal with a lot of wine and it caused a lot of issues. The second issue it caused was actual legalism because people would come in and they would start to judge how you put your table up and what you were eating for your last supper and what you were drinking and how you did the candles and how you did the cups and how you, you do your table. It was like the Pinterest, you know, it was a Pinterest off. Like, how cool can you do yours? And it would cause debate and problems and issues and everybody would be like, you're not holy enough because you didn't have this amount of oil or this amount of, you know, bread and it was terrible. And so the third, the third issue that came up was Um, As churches got bigger, meals started to be less practical. So as you can kind of see, like our church, we probably average around 400 on a weekend right now. Um, Imagine having to feed that on a regular basis for a communion meal. Like that's when we took communion, we fed everybody. I mean, I would enjoy that, but that'd be practically hard. And so as churches get bigger, it became a lot, lot harder. So as time went on, the church leaders would start to, we're talking about general church orthodoxy here. Churches would start to adjust to having them be communion elements. And so you started to take elements because it would make it a little easier. So you had two options based on church history. You could kind of do yearly based on the Passover, or you can do it weekly. If you wanted to, you could stretch Acts 20. And this is what it says in Acts 20. It says, you all have that? It says, on the first day of the week, everybody say week, yeah, on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread. So some people, and, and I'm not saying this is wrong. I'm, I think it's incomplete, and I think it's an inaccurate translation of the Scripture. But they would, some people, some churches go like, well, we're going to take it every week because it says every week to take break bread. I, I, Greek says, the Greek word there for bread is bread. It's not communion, and it's not the way and the spirit in which it was. But if there are churches that do communion every week, and that's fine. What do we do here? So we teach communion uh, every month. We, do, we take and, and practice communion every month. Um, we practice it in what we call an open communion. So you don't have to necessarily be a member to practice communion or take communion with us. But we ask that you've given your life to Jesus. Why do we ask you to do that? Because you're remembering something that he did for you. If you haven't given your life to Jesus, that's just juice and bread. And be honest with you, there's better juice and bread at H-E-B. But, but we take it. Why? To remember what God did for us and the sacrifice that he made for us. And so we take it monthly here. Um, uh, Frequency, we believe, is a matter of the heart. We believe that the the scriptures teach that the most important thing is that you take it in remembrance of him. And because remember this, that as a Christian, your biggest issue is not sin. It's forgetting the sin that Jesus died for. The children of Israel walked around in the desert longer than they needed to. not Not because they weren't good. Not because they weren't loved not because they weren't a part of the family, they did that because they forgot what Jesus did, what God did for them. Right. They forgot what God did for them. They forgot their deliverance. They forgot all that they they forgot. The Bible even says that, the children of Israel forgot right. how good God was. And so we take communion to remind us how good God is and how far we've come. Some of us in here, you need to remember back to who you were before you met Jesus. Right. Yeah. Cuz it wasn't pretty probably. <laughs> and so, yeah, there you go. Um, so I would say this. I think it's a matter of the heart. I think um, some of us need to be careful that we don't legalize, uh, legal, le- make it le- make it legalistic, legalize. That's kind of weird. Like talking about marijuana or something. Le- legalistic. Um, uh, sorry, my head, brain. Um, and but I think like sometimes you can make things legalistic in church. Where like if you don't do it this way, because Grandmama always taught you how to do it that way, then you're gonna be wrong and you're not gonna make it into heaven. Uh, communion is not a salvation issue. You know what's a salvation issue? Jesus dying on the cross for your sins. That's the salvation issue. So communion for us is a remembering of what God did for us. And so some of us, I got to be honest with you, some of you probably need to take communion at home. You need to remember who you were and what God did for you before you get out onto the freeway, before work, before you go talk to your boss, before you go discipline your kids. Come on. And some of you are like, well, no, you can only do it in church. Not, I, t- show me that in the Bible. Show it to me. And you can't show it to me and stretch. And I, could, I like to stretch. I'm a good, I stretch Pilates. I could stretch. All right? <laughs> but like, you, you can't show. So some of you as a husband, let me just tell you this. Some of you husbands in here, it you take your family through communion as a family. And say, today we're going to remember what Jesus did for us. Because we're going to be followers of Jesus. Not followers of a denomination or a religion. We're followers of Jesus. Um, So our practical tension is here. This is how we answer that question why we do it a month. We want to do it enough to where we remember, but not so much to where we make it too familiar. So that's our tension. And if you don't agree with that, it's okay. It's all good. We can still walk together, okay? It's all good. You don't have to leave here and be like, I'm out. He won't do weekly. I'm out. He won't put it on my tongue. I will never do that, by the way. That's weird. So (laughs) what if I touch your tongue? Oh. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just, it's wrong for me, okay? All right, next question. Um, Can music and movies really be a negative influence? Oh, help me, Lord. Should I watch a rated R movie or listen to Kanye West or Metallica? (laughs) Yeezy. Anybody like, anybody ever like, anybody in here, you're like, I don't know who Kanye West is. Raise your hand. Like, who is Kanye West? You're like, is that a, is that a place on the map? Does anybody not know who Metallica is? Raise your hand if you don't know Metallica. Y'all are just Christian. Love you guys. See? Anybody willing to admit on the way to church, y'all listen to some Metallica on the way to church? Anybody? We got one, two. Pastor, I got to get my sin out before I go to Jesus. Oh, man. Rated R movies. I don't want to answer this. Um... You know, uh, you know it's funny. These are what I call a series of, we've had a lot of these types of questions. I call them sin questions. And, and these questions are like, the root of these questions are all like, hey, pastor, how close can I get to the line without crossing it? Like, can I, how close can I get to the fire before I actually get burned? Like, I, I'm not worried about holiness. I'm more worried about just missing that place you called hell. I just want to get there. But, like, you know, sometimes Kanye's got some beats, you know. And, like, Taylor Swift, you know, it's like, come on. I mean, T. Swizzle, you know, I'm pal. Is that what they call her? I don't know. Let's just end it right here. Can we just pray? So if you feel like, you know, most people who feel like, no, only Chris Tomlin and Kirk Franklin and you know Hillsong for me. You might quote scriptures like this. Uh, you could say, so if you're saying like, no, this is evil, you'll put, you'll read stuff like, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Everybody say good, yeah. and, and reject every kind of evil. Metallica is evil. Have you seen Kanye West? He's terrible. May God himself. The God of peace, sanctify. Everybody say, sanctify. sanctify. Come on, like you're like an old school, old timey preacher. Say, sanctify. sanctify. Ugh, get like, get from your belly. You through, wait, go back. You through and through. <laughs> May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's another one. That's not enough because they got a bunch of scriptures. When you're legalistic, you got a bunch of them. You just pull them out like it's a, you know, just throw bullets at people's fun. And so Hebrews says this. Uh, it says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Everybody say Holy. Yeah. Holy, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So they're saying, they're saying like, listen, how are you gonna be an influence? How are you gonna be a witness listening to Kanye West? How are you gonna do that watching rated R movies? I mean, like you're watching that, you're seeing it. How are you gonna be a Christian? I mean, you can't really be a Christian and listen and watch that stuff. I mean, it's terrible. How are you gonna do that? And to be honest with you, they got a point. I can't, hey, you got a point. Those who are saying like, no, you can listen to anything. They quote, quote scriptures like this. This is why Bible debating is funny, because I can give you scriptures for either side of your argument. I'm, I'm doing it right now. So, like, if you're like, no, you can do it, Pastor, you're wrong. Okay, so you would quote stuff like this: David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God with psalms and harps and lyres. I don't even know what that is, and timbrels. What's a timbrel? And cymbals and trumpets. And they were like, and then there's other parts of scripture that talk about like he was dancing around naked, like that's inappropriate, Pastor. And it's in the Bible. And I'm like, well, there's a lot of things in the Bible you should do (laughs) and dancing naked for 99.9% of us is probably one of them (laughs) or this is the best this is the number one script people always say this to me pastor they know that the Lord looks not as man looks man looks on the outward appearance God knows my heart doesn't matter what I do. God knows my heart. And I always laugh at them a little bit. Because although I think that's true, you don't even read, you don't even, we don't even know where that scripture is in the Bible. But we all know how to quote it. And that's like our get out of jail free card. So what you do is you treat people like Trash. And we act however we want to act. And then we go, well, God knows my heart. That's like the Christians, my bad. (laughs) You know, like... Don't judge me. That's another one. Don't judge me. God judges me. He knows my heart. Like, you don't know me. Like, if you knew me, then you would know that my heart is not like, just because I listen to Kanye West and Metallica, you don't know, just because you about Chris Tomlin and, you know, Michael W. Smith and talking about, Lord, I lift your name on high all the time. Let me just tell you, right? And so they, they just be, you know, throwing scriptures at people. Um, I will give you my opinion Because here's the problem. The Bible was written at a time when there was no Kanye West. There was no Metallica. Uh, Rated our movies. The rating systems didn't exist. And so, you know, it's hard to kind of, you know. And, and, you know, here's what makes it worse. Because I was a youth pastor and I was a college pastor for a long time, you know. And so, parents, what we love to do is we like to lie to our children. You do. Oh, yeah. And so... (laughs) So, so what, what we do is we go, we go, you don't you listen to that music because you're gonna go to hell in all different versions, however, you package that. And the problem is, is that kids then go to college and they realize, wow, that's not completely accurate, mom and dad. Or, or, or you tell them, don't listen to Metallica, and you're listening to Leonard Skinner right on the outside, right? <laughs> or you got your own Metallica CDs and they catch you and they realize and they figure out that you are a hypocrite stop lying to your kids deep thoughts with pastor Aaron today (laughs) but the heart of what you're saying as a parent is true what you're saying is, is be careful because what goes in tends to come out be careful what you sow tends to be what you reap I've noticed that when I plant a like like a bean seed Doritos doesn't come out, right? If I plant a bean seed, are there bean seeds? Okay, if I plant a bean seed, I've been to college. A bean comes out. And so I have to be careful. In fact, Proverbs has some uh, description for this. Proverbs chapter four says this. It says, above all else, guard your heart. Everybody say heart. Yeah, because everything you do flows from it. So if you allow things to go into your heart, Don't be surprised what comes from it. And the way to your heart is through your eyes, through your ears. It could be through your senses. It could be through how you... So what you allow, what you ingest typically gets to be what you digest. And oftentimes churches make a too much of... They they fuss too much about the fruit and not enough about the root. So they keep telling you to stop being a sinner. They They just don't give you the answers on how to actually change your heart so you stop doing what you're telling them to stop doing. Jesus did that a lot. Jesus would come in and he'd go, I don't care about, you're, 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 you're worried about what they're doing. I'm worried about who they are. If I fix who they are, that'll change what they're doing. And so this is a what you're doing question. This is, this is a who you are. This is like a, if I'm around certain things, I tend to be like that certain thing. Have you ever been to a campfire? Anybody been like made a campfire, been around a campfire? Have you ever noticed how like when you come home, what, 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 what do you smell like? Campfire. campfire. What, why? Because you were around a campfire. And so a lot of us go like, well, man, you have like trash coming out of your mouth, trash coming out of your eyes, trash coming out of your mirror. You're, 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 you're a walking around with trash that's coming out of you simply because you are around a bunch of trash all the time. So you listen to trash, and you watch trash, and so all of a sudden now you have become the thing that you are ingesting. Why? Because it's the law of sowing and reaping. So I do think that there is some value in understanding that be careful with what you allow your eyes to see. Be careful with what you allow your ears to hear. You can't just blanket statement. I'll say this. Is it a sin? Yes and no. You can't say that all rated R movies are bad because, well, have you seen The Passion of the Christ? You watched the rated R movie. Ratings are simply a manufactured idea so that you could, it was designed, you need to know this, it was designed so that you can kind of have a healthy gauge on what is actually inappropriate in the movie. So, I mean, there are some things, but that's determined by a organization. And an organization determined that there was too much inappropriateness in a movie about our story of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so you can't blanket statement, don't walk around saying all rated our movies are bad. Because you could say like, well, then, oh, well, what do you really get into the heart? Well, there's, there's, there's cussing in it. Okay, well, what, what constitutes a cuss word? If you go to different parts of the world, cuss words are different. Well, okay, well, then what kind? Con- well, it's the matter of the heart. But again, that's, you see what I'm saying? It's a rabbit hole you can get caught up in. I'm trying to give you the idea, the principle behind of what I think good-natured religious Christian people are trying to say is, man... There could be some problems with the fact that you're listening to music talking about shooting and killing people. There could be some issues with you listening to music celebrating and worshiping evil thoughts, evil ways, evil ideas, evil thoughts. You can't say that I can ingest all that stuff and not let it affect me. That, that, that's, that's silly. That's si- Please don't be that. Please don't be that person. You, you sound silly saying that. And so I, I think there's a principle in this I wanted to teach you from Paul and it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And it says this. He says, um, you say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And he says it again. You say that I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. What he's saying is just because it's permissible doesn't mean it's profitable. Just because you can, just because it's not a sin, doesn't mean you should do it. And I've said this before. I've preached this before in our, in our church before. If sin is your only gauge on whether or not you should do something, you're, you're, you're in trouble. Sin's the base like level. You need to make decisions based on vision for your life. Vision. And so the principle is just because I can doesn't mean I should. And so you might, I might come up, you might have heard me say in answering this question, well, it's not a sin, I'm going to do it. Well, just because it's not a sin doesn't mean you should. And I will say this: there are some sinning going on while you watch movies. You know you shouldn't be looking at that. Come on. No one, don't. God doesn't need to tell you. A pastor doesn't need to tell you. You know. There's a conviction in your heart. And I always tell people like this, if you would watch, like, what would you feel like if you were watching it with your kids? I try to be careful with that stuff. If I have to, like, wait for my kids to go down, and I'm not saying this is a hard, fast rule, okay? This is a pastor Aaron opinion, all right? You can be like, Aaron, that's crazy. But, like, if you're all, everything you're watching is only, your entertainment is only when your kids are down because you don't want them to see what you're watching, that, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's an indicator. That's an indicator. Or would you watch it in front of other friends or me or God? Because he's sitting on the couch next. Never mind. All right. So I'll get off of that because y'all are probably all mad at me. So anyway, I didn't say it was a sin, but I didn't say it wasn't. Okay. So um, last question is this. um, uh, Can a Christian be cremated? Which one do we want to answer? Okay. uh, Can a Christian be cremated? Uh, I'm going to answer this question on Facebook Live this week. Next question. Uh, I'm depressed. I'm at the end of my rope. How do I overcome this? I'm going to close with this question. I had a, um, I had, this question is probably most asked nowadays a lot because we live in a society where depression and anxiety is only getting bigger. It's only becoming more prevalent. And um, just by a show of hands in here, if you're maybe brave enough to share with us, how many of you in here have struggled with depression or high levels of anxiety now or at some point in your life? Raise your hand, raise your hand, raise your hand, raise your hand, raise your hand. hand, Lift them up high. Look around, look around. You can put them down. Most statistics show that it's only getting worse and it's only going to get worse and that... um, If we're not careful, um, and we don't see accurately some things, it could really, really affect our lives. I'll say this, you need to know you're not alone. Uh, One of the enemy's tactics inside of your depression and anxiety is to show you, improve you, and try to make sure you know you're alone in this. You're the only one who struggles with this. You're the only one who feels over your head. You're the only one who's struggling with depression or depressed thoughts or depressed feelings or high levels of anxiety. And you know one of the tactics that he uses? He uses uh, social media. Because in your deepest, darkest moment, you have an easy ability to lift up your phone, turn on something, and show you everyone's highlight reel. And so while they're off in the beach, you're in the bunkers trying to make it. And that has never been true at any other part in human history. Most scientists and studies are showing that the human brain was not meant to actually receive messages, news, ideas, thoughts, opinions at the rate we're receiving them right now. That we're literally, as a society, becoming more and more socially broken to the point where we feel like we are depressed. And so I wanted to answer this question. Number one, you're not alone. Many great men in the Bible struggled with depression and anxiety. David struggled with it. Elijah struggled. Elijah's interesting because, you know, he was an incredible man of God until one person threatened him. One. He did like crazy things. God moments, miracle things, changing things for the, for, for the Lord. And then one person threatens him and he, cha- he like cowers under a tree and wishes he was dead. Noah had it. Job, go back and read Job. Job's an entire story of a man struggling with God and his depression. So great men of God have done, have, have all walked through that. I will say this just on a personal level. Uh, your pastor, I struggled this for six and a half months leading up to the launch of this church. High levels. I had two counselors. Both of them said I had high levels, the highest levels of depression and anxiety that they've ever seen. I was like, I felt like I could hear things. I was seeing things. It was weird. It was like, I was sad. I, it wasn't just sad. I was frustrated. I was anxiety ridden. I mean, you guys, my wife. It was the worst season of my life. And I had never, I always told people, I never had a sad day. That's not my personality. I mean, you guys could probably tell. Like, I, that's just not my personality. I, I've always been a cup half full person. And there was a systematic demonic attack while I walked through depression at high, high levels. You need to know, I know exactly what that feels like. And there's no place, there's no more lonely place than feeling those types of feelings. So you're not alone. Second thing I would say is this. Typically, people who focus on, who are struggling with depression, focus on feelings over facts. You get caught up in emotional reasoning, which means this. And emotional reasoning is simply this. If I feel it, it must be true. Right? If I feel it, it must be true. And the, 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 the funny thing is is that's actually quite opposite in the world because typically those who are doing things and, str- and getting better and walking through things and improving themselves, they typically don't feel good all the time. You ever been to the gym? You're getting healthier, but in the moment, come on, in the moment it feels pretty terrible. So your feelings should make you feel like this is terrible. I'm not doing anything for myself. Well, that's not true. So depressed people and people who struggle with depression and anxiety, they focus on feelings and not facts. And oftentimes we have to get ourselves out of our feelings and more on the facts. I remember when I first got married to Erica, it was like two days after we were having coffee with each other, and I go, babe, I just don't feel like we're, I don't feel married. And she goes, well, you are, honey. Get used to it. care about your feelings. You are married, you know, right? And so sometimes we got to take a step out of our feelings to really get into the facts of it. And the second thing is is this, is typically people who struggle with depression, they try to satisfy a hunger with something that won't satisfy it. Oftentimes, it actually is they satisfy it with something that actually brings them more thirst, more hunger. The other day, I was eating crackers, and I started to notice that I was really thirsty. And you know what I did to answer the question? I kept eating crackers, and I, I kept getting more thirsty, and I kept eating crackers, and I kept getting more thirsty. It's like drinking salt water in a in the ocean when you're thirsty it only dehydrates you more and oftentimes we're like that in our spiritual drought seasons You could be in here right now struggling, and we turn to different things. We turn to drugs. We turn to alcohol. We turn to pornography. We turn to different vices. We turn to food. We turn to relationships. We turn to different things that we feel like are satisfying. And the interesting thing about that, we turn to social media. The more you turn to those things that won't satisfy, it just makes you thirstier. It just makes you hungrier. And rather than going to the thing that will actually settle your thirst and your hunger, which is Jesus, you and I go to our vices, and depression turns into a cycle. Um, there's a lot in this question that I can answer, um, and I can't do it all justice, so I'll just give you a couple of things. The first thing I'll say is this. Um, if you are struggling with depression, the best way to overcome is to, number one, watch your body. You need to be careful about what you eat. Don't tell me what your diet is and so I can continue to eat pizza rolls while you're struggling with depression. Sorry, don't work like that. Eat healthy food. Try to keep your nutrients up. Make your body as centered as possible. Uh, you need to make sure you exercise. Don't say you can't exercise. You can walk around the block. That don't cost you nothing. You don't need a gym membership to be healthy. The third thing is, I'll say this about your body, is be helpfully, uh, be rest, be restful. You need to have a healthy dose of sleep. Most researchers and statistics show right now that most people in the world don't sleep enough. You need to get good, good rest. The second thing is, so watch your body. The second thing is, is watch your words. Be careful what you speak. Be careful how you speak about others. Be careful about how you speak about yourself. Be careful about what you put words you put in your life. If you struggle with depression, really be worried about what you watch and listen to. Not all people are created equal in equal times. So just because somebody's doing that doesn't mean you can. And so I remember when I was walking through my depression season, and thankfully God got me out of it. And I was able to walk it out. But you know one of the best things I did for myself? I went old school and I just started writing Bible verses and helpful thoughts on sticky notes and putting them all over the house. I had them in my bathroom mirror. I had them in my Bible. I had them in my car. I had them in my chest. I had them in my forehead. I put them everywhere. Because I'm like, I, you know what you, I needed in that moment? I needed helpful, godly words. I needed to speak those over me. Stop walking around saying, I'm depressed. I'm not going to make it. I don't know what I'm going to do. Stop saying that. We get it. Start speaking life into your life. Yeah. Start speaking life into your soul. Start saying, I'm, look, I'm not good, but I'm going to be. Yeah. You know, I'm, not, I'm struggling. We always say this at our church. It's, not, it's, not, it's okay for you not to be okay. It's just not okay for you to stay there. Right. So it's okay that you're not okay. It's okay that you're struggling right now. But God doesn't want you to stay there. Your family doesn't want you to stay there. Your church doesn't want you to stay there. Your pastor doesn't want you to stay there. You can do it. It starts with your words. And the last thing is just watch your eyes. We need to be able to see as God sees. The best thing that I think I've ever seen inside Scripture is when um, most of those men of God that were struggling with depression, the Bible says that he would God's advice to them had something to do with lifting their eyes. Isn't that interesting? Like lift your eyes. Get your eyes off of you and start looking to God. Figuratively and literally. Get your eyes, lift your eyes up, start seeing as God sees so that you can start having as God has. Come on, like we are children of God. You are princes and princesses to the one true king, and God has a reward for you. Stop acting like you're not a part of the family. You're in. He loves you. Depression is not your final chapter. It's just a part of your story, and God will get the glory if you let him. Watch your body, watch your eyes, and watch your words, and I believe you can overcome depression.